Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Alexa Mo podcast. And today we are doing things a little bit differently. Uh, we have uh, none other than Dr. Faith B. B. Israel. Um, she is a social scientist, now turned politician. And uh, we are exploring the intersection of public health policy and politics. A lot of decisions that affect us in our communities are driven by politicians and decisions they make. We, as healthcare providers and practitioners, need to have a seat at the table. And we welcome Faith to share her experience and her journey with us tonight. Yes, welcome, uh, Dr. B. Israel, or uh, we'll go by Faith moving forward just to keep it simple, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, but first and foremost, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. We really do appreciate your time. Um, and also, you are in Trinidad. Is that correct? Right. So thank you for having me. I'm in Trinidad and Tobago, specifically on the smaller of the twin islands, which is Tobago. Um, born and breeze, raised right on this wonderful island. So I've heard about it. So you get Mo, correct me if I'm wrong here. You got to catch a flight if you want to get from Tobago to Trinidad, correct? Yes. Yes. A small plane, Alex, which you're scared of. No, no, I'm not scared. It's about 10 to 15 minutes. No, no. I've been on a small plane. Uh, quick, fun story. When I was in, well, as a faculty member at uh, University of South Florida, our then program director, Dr. Sandy Quillen, he was in the Navy and he was also a pilot. So he had his own plane. And one day he comes up to me. He's like, hey, Alex, I know you went to Florida State in undergrad. I have a meeting over there uh, to speak to the pre-physical therapy program at, at Florida State University. And I want you to come with me. So I'm thinking, OK, we're going to we're going to drive or, you know, because from Tampa to Tallahassee, it's about four hour drive. He's like, oh, no, no, we're going to go on my plane. Mm. I'm like, uh, okay. So I tell my <laughs> wife and my wife is like, I don't know that you can do that. Like we don't, we need to get certain stuff in order if you're going up <laughs> on this plane. Um, so it was cool, fun. I sat with him on the little, is a little two seater plane. Um, so much so he's like, Hey, you're not bringing anything. Right. Cause like the weight throws off, you know, all that good stuff. So, I've been on small planes. Um, it was kind of exciting, but yeah, probably a one and done for me. <laughs> well, well, all planes are a little bit bigger. <laughs> thank God. Thank God they're a little bigger than uh, two or three people. And I actually had to do it today. I had to come from Trinidad today because we had our national budget that was ready yesterday. And I had to go down to Trinidad for that yesterday and back up today. So back and forth is a normal thing for us. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So, and we've had a lot of guests here who have been from the Caribbean or been from Africa, or have African parents or Caribbean parents, and we've all shared that our parents want us to either become doctors, lawyers, or engineers. How did you become a social scientist? I mean, I, I think <laughs> I think this is this is the Caribbean African story. I mm -hmm. literally left Tobago to mm -hmm. go to the United States um, to become a neurosurgeon. That was the plan. 
that was okay. the plan. Um, I had heard, you know, random news or something, and you know, the single neurosurgeon that was either on the island or in the country was going on vacation, and they said, "Be careful, people." we won't have a neurosurgeon for a month. And I thought that just makes no sense. Um, let me go be a neurosurgeon as if you could just do that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you just apply for the job. Like yeah. I'm here. Yeah, right. <laughs> the good thing though, is that when I went to, I, I got to the university of Pittsburgh, I, I started I did undergrad, so I did neurosurgery. My bachelor's degree is in neuro neuroscience, is what my bachelor degree is. Um, and because I was high, Eunice, because I was able to spend quite a bit of time in the medical field, uh, I coincidentally had a mentor who was teaching in the medical school. So I had, you know, I, I went with him to medical lectures and, and to the practical and that kind of stuff. I recognized that traditional medicine was not for me, thank God. And then I figured out what public health was and realized maybe that is the path that I should take instead of, of the traditional MD kind of thing. And then I realized I could get the master's in public health and I could get the doctoral in public health, which would, you know, satisfy my mother. She could still call me Dr. Faith. <laughs> So I went ahead and I, I, I did the doctoral degree in public health. And I'm actually really glad that I made that switch because I, I don't know that I would have been a really good physician. You know, I, 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 I can't be around the, the sick individuals and have to deal with that. My, my personality would not have vibed with that. So I'm kind of glad I made the switch and I figured out what public health was before it was too late. Did you do, <laughs> so what did about you public health made you made you make that switch what about public health what drew you to it because i realized that even though the only thing we knew about health or medicine mm -hmm. was the treatment component there was an entire world that was public health which includes the preventative stuff it includes the the environmental health stuff it includes the policy and and the economics of health and it includes all of these other things that are in place to keep the community healthy and i recognize that even though when I went into it, I thought that I wanted to become a medical doctor because that's the only thing I knew. What I was actually more interested in was community health, was actual, true public health. And I'm really glad I was able to make that distinction pretty early up and was able to make that switch. Now, did you do your studies for the public health stuff here in the States? Yeah. Hi, Lestra. I did my, I went to the University of Pittsburgh undergrad uh, and I did both my master's and doctoral degrees at the University of Pittsburgh. Coincidentally, it took me like a 10 year period of just go, 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 go from undergrad all the way to completing my doctoral degree. And as soon as I was done, um, I basically packed my bags and came back home. So the plan like was always. <laughs> um, I, I mean, Pittsburgh is a wonderful place to go to school. <laughs> no, but the plan was always to come back home. That was all. I actually got a scholarship from the Tobago House of Assembly. Um, and, and there was an expectation that I would come back home. 
what was what was that adjustment for you like right because you're coming from caribbean island sun beaches you know the the good life the just a different vibe right like i'm from colombia south america i um my wife and kids spent a month over there with my parents i spent a couple weeks this past summer with my parents it's just a different vibe right when you go anywhere I'm going to say outside of the US and and I've had had a friend of ours that traveled to Portugal not too long ago and we were talking and it's like it's just different. Yeah. When you leave the United States or for you coming to the United States, it's totally different than anywhere in the world, I think. Um, it is. And what was that adjustment like for you? Well, the, the good thing is that I have uh, quite a number of family members who live in the United States. So it was very, it was normal for me to spend summers in the US, either in New York or in Pittsburgh. So I was very used to what it was like, um, like that. In terms of the adjust, adjustment for school, I think I, I, I've always been just a wherever the world leads me, I will go kind of person. So I think I tend to adjust pretty quickly to whatever the environment is, just because that's just, you know, what whatever will happen will happen. If it is God's will, it will happen kind of thing is, is how, how I live my life. So um, the adjustment was actually quite, quite relatively easy. I mean, apart from the typical Caribbean issues of not having all of the finances that you need to and figuring out that part of it and so forth. I actually thought I, it was a pretty smooth adjustment. Good, 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 good. So you did work in public health before you got into politics. What yes. has been the biggest challenge or did you think it was going to be easy going from public health into politics and implementing policies, your vision, how has that been? Well, you know, the reason I got into politics was because the public health that I was experiencing was incomplete. I leave it, so what does that mean? I came back to Trinidad and Tobago, worked, um, actually worked coincidentally in the same division that I am now leading. Uh, it was then called Health and Social Services. And I would recognize that having done all of this schooling, coming with all of these wonderful ideas and so forth, making these amazing, in my mind, proposals, um, policies and so on, sending them up, um, and then the politicians would be the ones who make the final decisions. And I kind of thought, you know, some of the decisions that the politicians were making, who were obviously not public health trained people kind of thing, just did not make sense. And in my mind, I needed to figure out a way to get into that little room where those politicians were making those decisions. And, and uh, the opportunity came. Um, for me to join a political organization that I thought kind of fits my, my philosophy and my ideas. And I thought, why not, you know, why not jump at that opportunity? Why not take it and, and be a technocratic politician? As a matter of fact, it took me 
almost a year, two years before I, I was able to identify myself as a politician without absolutely cringing. <laughs> now, it, uh, is I, I get it. it. Is politics in Trinidad and Tobago is similar to here in the States where it's a two-party system or is it? Okay. It is. It has traditionally been a two-party system. Coincidentally, the party that I got involved in um, was not one of the two major ones at the time. Um, we were able to, to garner the support of basically everybody who did not support the party that was in power. So we are kind of back now to the two-party system because, you know, it's kind of them and everybody else who was against them who've kind of coalesced, coalesced to become this, this single entity now that we're still trying to figure out what that is and maneuver all of the madness of politics. So I want to piggyback on something that you said, um, because we always encourage people, we say representation matters, to get a seat at the table. And sometimes when you get a seat at the table, which you do have now being a public health uh, policymaker, you are now a politician, things get murky and you're not able to carry out the policies or the ideas that you were once sending up to the politicians. Now you are in the seat and seeing why those politicians who were not policy health makers made the decisions that they made. A lot of things are controlled by money. Um, and sometimes people who have done it before and how to see that at the table feel like sometimes their voice aren't being heard and they feel ostracized and, and they leave. So mm -hmm. what do you personally do to overcome that? And what advice would you give to someone who may be interested in becoming involved in politics, whether it's local, state, anywhere in this world yeah i i several things had to happen eh? i remember having a, a conversation with my administrator at the time um the administrators are the the accounting officers so there are two of us who lead the the division uh, i am the policy politician side of it and then there's the administration administrator side of it and we had a conversation and she said to me um dr faith you have to remember that you have come into a system that is not moving as quickly as the thoughts in your mind are moving and you have to be patient enough to remember that everyone honestly doesn't have the information that you have in your head and everyone is not moving at the speed of you in your head. So you have to figure out how to bring everyone to that level so that we're all moving together in the same direction. And I listened to her and I thought, you know, you are absolutely correct because there is no point in me going 10 miles an hour while everyone else is going one mile an hour. I am going to get frustrated. I am going to get, you know, everything is going to, it's not going to work. And I needed to figure out what needed to happen in the atmosphere to bring people up to my speed or in some instances to slow myself down. 
And that is what I've actually been trying to do over the last two years or so, to figure out why people are not moving as quickly as I think they should be moving and to give them the resources to do that kind of shift. So, you know, I, I recently recognized that one of the areas that we were having issues was what, you know, what happens with the accounting people, because you would do everything. And then if the bill doesn't get paid or if the check doesn't get cut, the program kind of stops. And I actually sat with the accounting units and just started listening to them. Okay, tell us, tell me what's happening, what's going on, how can we help, how can we assist with this? I did the same thing with procurement. You know, what are your challenges? Why is it that stuff ends up on your desk and just sits on your desk for months? And then we had a real honest back and forth about why is it that that happens? with my social workers, what, what's, what's the issue? And, you know, they are identifying that we, we've been working. COVID, we did not stop for COVID. Very much like the medical people, they did not stop for COVID. So, you know, I would say, well, you know, let's start implementing, you know, unofficial mental health breaks. Like, they're the ones who could literally tell me they need a spa. And I would say, sure, let's take the entire unit to get a spa because I recognize that that is what is needed to get them to do what we need them to do. Um, so I am actually seeing now where things are beginning to move closer to the speed that I want them to move um, compared to where they were before. And it's a learning process for, for all of us. So it, it is something that's it's working out, I think. Um, Every now and then I become kind of frustrated again. And then I remember that conversation with the administrator. And I remind myself to, you know, to slow down and, and bring people along with me. Well, what, what has as, been... As a... Go ahead, Mom. Sorry, I was going to say, as, as a business owner, you just dropped some gems to be patient. Um, so not only are you a policymaker and politician, you're also a manager of people. And the best businesses the best political group, they have to master being able to manage people better and better each time. That's how you grow. Certainly. What has been the biggest, so far, the biggest lesson you've learned in, in making this transition into politics? Oh, wow. What has been the biggest lesson? You know, I'm really not sure I know the answer to that question, other than the being patient. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, again, going back to managing people, because it's all about those relationships that you're having with people, trying to figure out why people do what they do, or why don't they do, or what, you know, what is the ego issue that's happening, or what is it within their personal life that's causing them to behave the way they do. And really trying to, because I now understand them, um, I am able to better regulate my response. And I think that is one of the biggest things for me, figuring out how to regulate my response and to not be as quick in, in be getting upset or, or, or 
you know, chastising or, or whatever is the automatic thing that I want to do, but figuring out how to regulate my response because I understand where you are coming from. So what has been the biggest personal lesson for you? What have you recognized about yourself having to step into this role? Um, that I am not a superhero and that I need to actually actively decide when to stop. That has been my biggest personal lesson because I would go, 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 go until I crash. And, and you know, somebody said to me the other day, you are, you are no good to us if you are not here. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny that you say that in a totally different realm, but when you are a, a prominent person within a system, right? Whatever that system is, regulating yourself becomes very important because to that point of what you were told is if you run yourself ragged and we've had that in healthcare where we have clinicians being burnt out and all this stuff for whatever different reasons, you know, it's very similar. I tell my wife when my wife doesn't feel well and she's a go-getter, my wife does not stop. She doesn't know how to stop. Um, and I have to tell her, I'm like, you need to slow down and you need to take care of yourself because you're no good to our kids and myself if you're running on fumes. Yeah. Right. So you can't be a leader. You can't be that person that people look up to and depend on if yourself, even though if you're not, if you're not good with yourself. Right. And, and I think that when you're in a position like yours, where you're responsible for many different people and many different things. Like you have to take that step back to say, Hey, am I good today? Am I at a hundred percent today? And if I'm not, like you said, let's take the spa day or let's do what we need to do to kind of get ourselves together so that we can, we can do what we need to do. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of tough for politicians because they're like in the public eye and judged day in day out no matter what they do so even if she may recognize that she needs to take a break and slow down there's somebody saying look at her she's not doing anything she's just there you know so you, you can't okay the truth is you can't please everybody okay i know personally for me i had to overcome that fear of you know what people are going to talk about you no matter what you do and mm -hmm. the sooner i realized that and i accepted that the better I became and more confident I became in pursuing my purpose. So yeah. I can't tell you as a politician, say screw them because you need their votes. <laughs> but I can say in my mind, screw people. Okay, so. And, and you know, I, I, I have said something very similar to that and I had to find myself on television apologizing shortly. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> your, your position, you're elected into this position? I am elected, yes. And, and how long is your term? Um, it is four years. Uh, so we are, December would make it to the two-year point. Uh, so we have another two years to go in this term. And then are you able to continue into another set of four years if you were to be reelected? Yeah. Uh, there are no term limits as it relates to elected um, assemblymen in the Tobago House of Assembly. So you could go as long as, as 
the people want you and, and you want to go, at least for now. That is what the rule says for now. So are you mm. still able, you know, obviously you got the public health aspect was your initial love, your initial passion. Mm -hmm. Are you still able to do that to a level that is satisfying to you? Or have you had to kind of delegate more of that to take on some of the other responsibilities? Um, so I, because of the, the division that I run, it is a public health division. So um, I have the benefit of having technical people to work with me. So for example, if I need to have a, a policy written, by no means am I sitting writing it myself. I have technical people who could help. Um, but I am the one who's actually reading it. I am the one who's actually guiding it, indicating that, you know, after we've done the stakeholder stuff and so on, this is what needs to be in the policy, have it written, then we bring it forward and, and, and have it you know, approved and that kind of thing. So I still am able to do quite a bit of the actual public health stuff. Uh, during COVID, I was probably happier than most people <laughs> because this Why was- that? Why is that? Why is that? Because what we were experiencing in COVID was what they taught mm -hmm. us at school. And it was finally having an opportunity. I mean, unfortunately it was, in the grand scheme of thing, a horrible experience to go through. But for public health professionals, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to experience a pandemic. The thing that they teach you about, um, that really only happens hopefully once in a lifetime, uh, where we had to, you know, practically all of the theories became practice. And that to me was exciting to, to be a part of the public space, because even though I was not in this position at that time, I still had a, a, a loud enough public voice to lend my expertise to, to do the health education and that kind of stuff that was needed to help the population. So I still, I am still able to do that. I actually just made a conscious decision to continue doing more health education. So even like last week, um, I, we had a sitting in the house. I chose to leave the house after I made my presentation to run down to do a quick HIV talk with some young people and to run back up into the house because that is the kind of stuff that I need to do to keep, you know, to keep my love of public health alive. Uh, let's talk about health education. Um, hmm. I'm going to use my mama's example. I'm sure she's going to call me right after this podcast and <laughs> blast me. But our, our mothers are exactly who they are, right? It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's tough to try to educate um, persons who are set in their ways. So how has health education been um, being educated here and having to return uh, back home to tell people who have survived doing things a certain way for a long period of time that, hey, you got to choose to do this, do that, do that. How? <laughs> how has that been? It goes back to how you do it. Um, okay. health, health education requires that you know your audience and that you're able to communicate to the audience that you have. 
um, which means using the language that, that, that they understand, using the examples that they understand and so forth. And I recognize that when, when I do it that way, um, you get a better response. Of course, health education only goes so far. Uh, we need to have people who can actually um, change the behaviors that we're asking them to change. And that 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 deficiency is not a Caribbean deficiency. That deficiency is a worldwide kind of deficiency. So, so it's a, something that we 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 accept is part of the part of the hard work of public health. But I think understanding also why why people think what they think, and being able to use even the traditional things that they 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 hold fast for hold true to and bring that into the conversation without totally condemning it. Because the reality is they have survived so far because something that they've been doing has actually been working. That's a fact, whether we want to admit Your mom's gonna quote Dr. Faith. As soon as you get that phone call, she's gonna be, you see? <laughs> now, what we need to do, Moni, is to try to figure out which of the things they've been doing is actually good, uh, uh, which of the things that they've I, been doing I is will. not so good, and then try to figure. So, it, so we, we're not saying get rid of everything. We're saying, you know, let's modify this one little thing. You can keep everything else. <laughs> no, I do. I do take her advice, especially on the the herbal drinks and tea. Um, and I do share with some clients who don't want to take certain pills, yeah. but there are just some things that, you know, I would say to her, like, look, you need to, well, I shouldn't say need. You should, I, I'm going to rephrase it to meet her expectations. You should try this <laughs> instead of you need to do this. <laughs> no, but the other thing I've recognized too, especially when it comes to, uh, traditional uh, or, or natural medicines. Um, a lot of people don't realize that the reason why our herbs work is because they are actually doing, they, they're creating chemical reactions in our bodies. And those chemical reactions can be good chemical reactions or they could be bad chemical reactions. And uh, when we get to the point of recognizing that even though it is just garlic, or even though it is just fever grass, the reason why it works is because it is actually creating a chemical reaction in your body. And you just want to make sure that the chemical reaction in your body is the right one and not the wrong one. You also want to make sure that the chemical reaction that you get from the fever grass does not counteract with the chemical reaction that you should you would get from some other medication you're taking, which is why you need to tell your doctor that you are taking both of these things because you could be causing a whole lot of harm because you are taking both of them and you, you do not know that they are in your body fighting. And it is mm -hmm. those kinds of, of explanations that we need to give to get people to the point of understanding that no, because it is natural does not mean it is not doing chemistry. It is still chemistry that's happening in your body. But we need to ensure that you keep yourself safe, even with the natural remedies that are causing chemical reactions. Hmm. Well, Alex has said Tobago is calm, pretty, you know, nice. It is. Um, how can some of the policies that you and your team implement 
put Tobago and Darren Trinidad on the worldscape of being one of the healthiest places to live? Well, our mandate is to make Tobago the greatest little island on the planet. And uh, that means us making some difficult decisions. Um, we still have, for example, some of the highest rates of, of the non-communicable diseases, the diabetes and the, the heart diseases and, and those things. Um, goes right back to our culture of eating and, and all of the good harvest food. <laughs> <laughs> yes, moms. <laughs> and the coconut down that we do and all of that. Um, but again, we have to figure out how to still maintain the culture. And we have to also remind people that the world that we used to live in where those things were fine is not the world we're living in anymore. We, you know, it was okay to eat the, the dumpling, the dashi, and the cassava and the green fig in the same meal. Well, when you are done, you're walking 10 miles to go home. Not when, when you're done, you're jumping in your car to go down the road. So there's a big difference in, you know, using what we did traditionally and marrying it with the world that we now live in. So our aim really is to, you know, Tobago is at a point where we are still trying to get to a, a solid foundation. Um, I have come into a space where our healthcare system is, was beaten. And we now are at the point of just trying to get the basic diagnostic tools up and running, um, trying to get those simple things going. And then we can start saying to the rest of the world, hey, come, this is an amazing place. Um, and again, I have to remind myself that I have only been in this position for less than two years. And two years following a pandemic. <laughs> so really, that counts as maybe, what, three months in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and understand that, yes, we are getting to the point of being able to say to the world that Tobago is a great place, but we need to make it a great place for our, our residents first. And then they would help us carry that message to the world. So with you having been in your position just shy of, of, of two years, what is the thing that as of today you would say you're the most proud of so far? You know, I answered this question two ways, two things. Um, we had a simple program that we are just about to restart where we were doing cataract surgeries, simple cataracts. And uh, um, one of the, the location, I walked into the location at a point when they, was do they were doing post-op, just simple post-op visits a day or two after the surgery. And an older gentleman saw me, literally actually saw me and started singing, I can see clearly now. Hmm. And that was like, wow, because I hadn't, I, I honestly did not think about how debilitating cataracts was and how something as simple as removing cataract from the eye can literally cause someone to see who was going, going blind for a surgery that 
in the grand scheme of things, is a very simple surgery. It is not a very costly surgery, but it is changing their lives. So that's on one end. I, I am very proud about that. But I think on the other end, I am also... I, I see systems beginning to work, meaning... Um, I would know that I've done my job when people no longer call me for things. So you need a, a, an x-ray or even today my mother messaged me. She's trying to get something and she's complaining that it's taking way longer. Mothers. Caribbean <laughs> mothers, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I would actually know that we've done a good job in a year if in a year from now she goes and she does exactly the same thing goes back for the same service and doesn't have to doesn't have to message me because it's taking too long and i i see that we have begun making incremental steps into stuff like that so stuff you know that makes me kind of pat myself on the shoulder a little bit so a follow-up to that now would be in two years from now, we sit down and have another conversation like we're having tonight. What is the thing that you're like, I did it. Like I, 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 two years ago, I wasn't here, but looking back now, I did it. What is, what is that? What does that look like for you? Uh. As a politician, I've learned not to give timelines. But well, on, on our platform, you know, I'm sure no, we're, we're, nobody we're putting in on the political sphere. Uh, listen, and listen, all those people who have been messaging are people who are literally sitting waiting for me to answer that question. Eh? <laughs> um, I actually think one of the things we would have, I'm hoping to accomplish within the next two years is to actually digitize the way we provide social support. Uh, so that's the other part of, so even though I'm the, the public health component, <clears throat> the medical component, the division is also responsible for providing social protection and providing uh, counseling and, and, and rental assistance and food support and that kind of stuff for people who are vulnerable. And I am working very closely with my IT, uh, with the, the, the leaders in the various units to figure out the best way to digitize the processes that we have. So we actually have a proper case management mechanism where the client does not have to come in literally with their birth paper for us to photocopy it. And for, oh yeah, we're still at that point, Monique, yes. And... <laughs> Listen, Columbia, is not that far ahead either. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Look, I, 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 I'm I, not saying anything because I may have to make some trips back home and I don't want to be cursed out at the airport. <laughs> I've so, heard some stories. I, I've uh, I've heard of things that are like, really? Like, that's what we're doing? But, you know, when yeah. when you've been in, in, in our system, the United States, and how things flow and then you go back to the trinidad tobago's columbia you know whatever the case may be you you notice the differences and you're like what yeah um but obviously it's not as easy as just having somebody develop an app for you and and everything is up and running 
No, because we actually have laws that still speak to the fact that you still need a paper copy for it to be a legal binding thing. Um, so, so in two years, I'm hoping I would have clients who have gotten food support, for example, from us. Uh, they've uh, applied, they've actually seen where they are in the process. Uh, they are able to go to the supermarkets um, without even having to come to the office and they could use their cell phone to make the purchase. That, that is where I'm hoping we would be in, in two years from now. I need to make sure I pull out this piece and send it to my IT manager because I am relying heavily on him <laughs> for this you know reality. you know there are going to be people that are going to save clips of this and in two years come back and say dr fate you said this and you said that i mean uh, but it's good to be hey. held accountable as a politician though exactly i have no issue with that i have no issue because it is something that i am working hard on we actually had plans to be further along but you know stuff happens but it, it is going to be it is going to be one of the things that at the end of this first term we are going to be able to do it because we've set the foundation for it already so it's really now a matter of implementing quite a bit of it absolutely and we'll be sure to, to broadcast that that uh that triumph <laughs> on here again um, in, in two years, you know, in two years, in yeah. two years, when we, uh, when we get together. So um, another difference that we spoke about, you know, just talking about the efficiency of getting things done. And yes, it do uh, it does irk me a bit when I have to get certain things renewed. Um, the process that it takes because here I could simply go online. Uh, so a lot of the clients that I see ask me about the differences in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. You study here. We have a capitalist free market healthcare system with insurances. Back mm -hmm. at home, it's um, what Americans would traditionally call socialized medicine, um, free medicine. There are benefits. I always tell people there are pros and cons to each system. I get clients who say, well, you guys sit around and wait in the emergency room for hours and hours i was like you do the very same thing yeah <laughs> so <laughs> you have to wait to get the certain test i was like you do the same thing here well machines are broken and stuff out so people would find a stance to defend whatever it is that they believe in and they support now mm -hmm. um is there a way uh that you guys can not only modernize uh healthcare provision but also incorporate something that those who have the resources can utilize it to. Oh, I think I I, I know the question as she pops back in. Yeah. Um, Sorry, someone tried to call me and uh, link to <laughs> Really? So you're using your <laughs> cell phone? No, I'm using my iPad, but people, uh, Keep, go ahead and proceed. <laughs> okay. So um, that is actually a question that I have been trying to answer myself. Um, mm -hmm. I The first part of it, meaning, yes, we have what I, it's a single payer system. So I actually try to remind people that it is not free. The healthcare that you're getting in Trinidad and Tobago in Tobago, it is not free. And I know it is not free because every month I need to write an approval that says, yes, 
I am approving us handing over, I think the figure is 40, between 42 and $45 million to the TRHA every single month. Yes. So no, the healthcare you are getting is not free. It costs millions and millions and millions. And I, I, I prefer it like that so that people do recognize that you're not getting free healthcare. And the fact that you're not getting free healthcare and you're not giving free healthcare means that we have to do the best to make the money that we are paying really worth it. Um, part of us doing the expansion to get some of those diagnostic tools is so that we can provide a kind of dual system. So regular everyday kind of story, you're fine, you come in and you get it quote unquote free, um, but we will try to recoup some of that monies. For example, if we provide MRI screening on weekends for our, for our cost. So those are the kinds of conversations that we've begun having um, within the division and within the regional health authority to see what is the best way to, to get something like this done, where we can still provide the service, quote unquote, free of charge to our regular res residents, regular citizens, but we can provide a, a fee for service kind of thing to those who can afford it. Um, we are already in a, in a, we've already started doing that with our hyperbaric chamber. Um, at the Roxborough Hospital. Um, let me say Roxborough Health Facility. We're not quite at a hospital just yet. And one of the projects that we have in train for this next fiscal is to actually do a bigger hyperbaric chamber and, and uh, um, advertise that to the Caribbean saying, if you need hyperbaric services, this is where you can come. We've actually had a couple people, uh, a couple divers and, and individuals who've had... Um, who've had uh, various issues come, come to Tobago to get hyperbaric services. Uh, and uh, we've been calculating, you know, if we really were to charge for this, what it would cost and, and that kind of thing. And, and putting the system in place to actually collect this, the fee, because that was one of the sticking points, you know, um, because we've had the single payer system for so long, we really do not have a regular built-in mechanism to collect or to, to charge people, particularly if they are individuals who are probably coming from the US, for example, with their own medical insurance. How do we charge the, the insurance companies and that kind of thing? So we're still trying to work out all of those pieces. Um, but soon enough, you know, maybe not within the next two years. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that's definitely not a two-year goal. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not a two-year goal. It's not. <laughs> that's for the re-election. <laughs> yes. Um, so for citizens of uh, Trinidad and Tobago, if they do travel like to the U.S. and God forbid something happens, uh, how are they covered? They are not covered. They're on their own. So, and I have had to experience that coming, going to the U.S., going to the emergency room, and then getting a bill that says each aspirin that I was given costs $5 or whatever the ridiculous figure was, and then having to figure that out. <laughs> so, so we do not have a system currently that covers our citizens once they are outside of Trinidad and Tobago. That does not exist. You are on your own, in a sense. How does the reverse work? So if I come to visit and I need to use the facilities and see a medical doctor, whatever the case may be. You just mentioned that your system as of yet isn't necessarily 
built in to be able to charge people, right? So what happens to, to the, the international tourists? You get, you get free medical care. And that's the only time Americans would appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> you get as a matter of fact it's actually one of the things we recognize that is a um a little it's a little trick that people play because when they come on the cruise ships for example and they get sick oh. on the ships they ensure that they come off of the ships <laughs> listen there's always a scam there's always a workaround. <laughs> yeah, because you know, once you go, once you go to the medical post on the ship, that is like, you know, oh, that's a thousand dollars, easy. Exactly. <laughs> so they they get off, they, they come off of the ship, whether they are crawling, limping, whatever, and then they find themselves themselves into our hospitals. And of course, we would treat them. We would absolutely not just say kick you out. We we can't. Uh, well, not that we can't. We will not. We will not do that. <laughs> Yes, that's that's all hospitality, Alex. <laughs> so yeah. Um, someone mentioned that uh, you will need to have travel insurance traveling outside of Trinidad and Tobago. Yep. So, um, but uh, uh, definitely. So, also, as I move into the realm of leadership and administrative leadership, sometimes you always hear, "This is how we've done it. This is all how we've always done it. It works." quote unquote works. <sighs> How have you been able, because you are a go-getter and a mover and a shaker. How do you navigate that space of this is how we've always done? Well, usually if they're honest, the second part of that statement is usually never said. And even if it is said, it is not true. The part about, and it works. Because frequently that is the, that is the stickler. It does not work. Um, and, uh, what we've been doing is trying to encourage people to brainstorm on ways to do the things that are simply not working. Um, one of the things I recognize coming in is that those who were there before me were actually part of the problem of individuals would bring recommendations, for example, and it would get stomped on or it will not be implemented and and that would cause people to you know pull back and not bring recommendations in the future but i have actually been really really encouraging people to come forward with your recommendations on how we could do things differently and i almost never say no to a good idea because in my mind let's try it you know what's the worst that could happen let's try it if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't um it's better than the inertia that we're experiencing so let us try it and and i think i have been able to express that to my my department heads and so forth so they know it's okay to come to me with a recommendation because as long as it sounds good as long as it's not you know it's not going to cost a billion dollars kind of thing yeah let's do it let's see what happens and and we go from there so I think that has been encouraging to them to come forward with new ideas. And it also means that if I come with a new idea, they're more likely to say, let's, let's, let's try it. Let's work with it because that's just the environment that I'm hoping to cultivate here. Hmm. Being an approachable politician. <laughs> what, um, what has the representation been, um, 
at, at your level now and before, um, specifically, obviously you being a woman, like, are you one of few, one of many, are you the first, has it been done before? Like, what has that been in the, in the political world, uh, over in, in Trinidad and Tobago? Well, as it relates to the, the, the gender dynamics, so Trinidad and Tobago has actually done a pretty decent job of ensuring that we've had both male and female politicians. We've we've done a pretty decent job at that. Um, in Tobago, uh, uh, we have a pretty, almost like an even scale at this point. It's probably not totally even, but we're, 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 we're pretty, you know, it's not, I am certainly not the only one kind of thing. And uh, we have quite a number of, of female politicians or female leaders who are sticking their head out, heads out and, and are making a mark on the, in the community. Um, what we have been able to do is bring quite a bit of technical competence to uh, an area where it was usually just the most popular person. Um, so before, I don't know that there was ever a secretary with responsibility for health, wellness, and social protection who had a, a doctoral degree in public health. You know, and, and the same thing really applies in practically all of our divisions where the, 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 the person who is heading the division um, has either really, really significant experience in that field or has really been uh, officially trained in that area. So we really have been able to marry the technical capacity that's needed to run these departments, run these divisions with the, the likability because we still have to get elected. You know, We still have to go out and campaign and, and convince people to vote for us. Um, what probably worked in our benefit though was the fact that um, the individuals who were there before had been there for quite some time. So I think they got a little complacent as well. And we had that, we had that observation that we could campaign on against them. And it worked in our favor. Uh, I mean, literally one of our campaign lines was you've been there for 21 years and you have not. <laughs> done whatever and we are in this position able to see we've been here for less than two years and look we have done this 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 now granted i am sure that if we are here for 20 years this level of of enthusiasm <laughs> is going to start winning by year 10 15 which is how which is probably why you know we probably shouldn't be around for that long anyway. Why Why no one group of people should be in leadership uh, for that length of period anyway? Because after a while, you 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 get tired, you get burnt out, you stop. All of the ideas you come in with, you lose them after a while. And it, that's, a, that's the time for new people to come in and pick up the mantle. Um, so I, I think that being female, being relatively well-educated, although I wouldn't just say educated because we have quite a bit with experience as well. Um, this is a new thing that Tobago is seeing. Youth as well, because our leader, our the absolute head of the island is, is, is local parlance, a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> Even to... 
What's yeah. that? He's in his thirties. Yeah. The leader, the leader of all of us. The, the, the gentleman that I look up to is a little boy in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, I I think having the youth involved is 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 key. I feel right regardless of how you feel or what side uh, of the 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 line they may be on exactly. you know i think that we've we've experienced that here in the united states you know over the last what 8 to to 12 years you know the last 2 to 3 election cycles we've had where the youth have come out and you know voiced their opinion and 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 done what they feel is best for them exactly um so and and, and without that you can't you can't progress, right? Because as you mentioned, you have individuals who are there for 20 plus years, they get complacent. I've been here. Nobody's really challenged me. So I don't really have to do anything to, to, to kind of uh, validate my place here, right? I've been here this long. Nobody's really said anything. So I'm just going to continue to do what I'm, what I have been doing, whether that's a little or a lot um, and, and be done with it until it's challenged and former fashion and truthfully you know uh time is is undefeated right so eventually your time runs out um and 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 you have to you have to maximize the time that you do have and, and the only people that can really challenge that are going to be the younger ones who are motivated who have this vision and all these things to, to kind of push it forward mm-hmm. so as we get Close to, to wrapping up, can you tell me about the pictures you have behind you? Because they're very, very interesting, very pretty looking pictures. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one was actually a gift um, from a, a young lady who happens to be married to an employee here. And it is in honor of the continued efforts of facing COVID-19 uh, pandemic effects. So, you know, it's, it's very eclectic, very, you know, if you, if you actually come and you look at it, 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 it is, it's amazing. All of the things she's been able to capture it, from afar. It just, it, it looks like an amazing work and, and, and it's textured and everything as well. Hmm. This is a picture that we, okay. So one of the programs at the division is known as the reach program realization for something. I should know the answer to this question. Anyway, <laughs> it's late. It's late. Don't worry about it. It is it's so. So it is actually part of it is you know the social protection of vulnerable communities, and one of the things we do with our vulnerable communities are we encourage them to start small businesses, and we actually give a small grant to those individuals to get them. You know, we we want a situation where we get you to the point where you are no longer our client. And this is actually one of the paintings that I purchased for the division, purchased from one of the clients who was a recipient of the REACH grant. Um, It's one of the paintings that she did and she was selling for one of the outreach activities that we had with the division. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, And and from the outsider, it just, to me, it screams, you know, what I envision the, the island to be. And that is why, as soon as I saw it, I said, "I, I have to, I have to get that one." Hmm. 
Yeah, so since well, you guys I mean, are encouraging small businesses, um, what about people wanting to pursue healthcare? Because a lot of people see that as one of the biggest challenges. When you say pursue healthcare, what do you mean? <clears throat> Excuse me, like start uh, caregiving businesses, um, right? Providing home health services. Um, so it so is actually it is encouraged um mm -hmm. that program is not limited to any kind of business so it, okay. it almost does not matter what your business is we as long as it makes sense we are going to encourage you as a matter of fact it it, it i am not sure that we even turn down people to be honest <laughs> um, because the aim really is to push you to to do whatever business it is so definitely we've been encouraging people um on my uh, as an area representative so we've been talking about the public health side of it and that kind of stuff um as an assemblyman i am actually hosting a business fair um next week or the week after in in bell garden in the district where we are actually encouraging people to come to learn about proposal writing, to learn about the financial sector, where would you get finances to do whatever business you want to do. And we are encouraging other businesses from the community to come out and showcase this is who you are, this is what you are providing to the community. And, and we have really been pushing, trying to encourage individuals to get into the various aspects, whatever it may be, and we will try to encourage you because we want to get people away from being employed with the government to being successful private private sector um, businesses. So we are really encouraging people to get into any of those fields and we will, we will support you. In, in whatever way we can. Even if it's not from my area, uh, the office, under the office of the chief secretary, well, under the office of the secretary for finance, um, there are larger grants and loans and so forth that are also available for individuals who, who want to start up businesses. That's, that's really, that's a really good initiative. I encourage people to do it. Um, there's nothing like earning your way. Um, my grandmother used to say, blessed is a child who has his own. Yep. I am experiencing that. So I encourage you guys to go find out more about the date, the time. Take yourself there. Empower yourself. Grow and learn. Um, Certainly. And for all those people who have tuned in for the first time to the Alex and Mo podcast, just subscribe on us, YouTube. Follow us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever we are on. Um, we have other interesting conversations with other interesting healthcare people. So, <laughs> please follow well, us. Dr. Faith, thank you. Thank you so much. It was truly a pleasure. Um, I've learned a lot about, obviously, you and what you're doing for your community. And, and that obviously speaks volumes about the type of person that you are. Um, obviously, with my relationship with Mo, I've heard great things about Trinidad and Tobago, and hopefully one day soon, uh, I can make it over there to, to experience all that good stuff that you guys have going on. But again, thank you very much. Really do appreciate your time uh, being with us. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it, this discussion, and definitely in two years. In two years. <laughs> we will be back. We'll have you back. Hopefully, I will still not be having... A lot of more gray hair, but yes, <laughs> so yes, we'll have you. We'll have you back to go over like okay, state of the state of faith union. Okay. <laughs>
So if anybody tune into this episode for Bacchanal, you didn't get any. Okay? <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Really do appreciate everybody's support. As Mo mentioned uh, a little bit ago, please follow us, share, like, retweet, all that good stuff. Really means a lot to us. Uh, we will continue to put out, you know, great content that hopefully you guys continue to enjoy. Um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing more about what Dr. Faith has got going on and following along her journey as she continues uh, in the next two years and in, in trying to meet her goals and and provide all the a good amount of resources for her constituents. Uh, so everybody have a wonderful evening and God bless. <laughs>